Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. A lot to talk about this week. A new Supreme Court cases, developments in the Flynn and Stone cases that are going to knock your socks off. Uh, Judicial Watch has a new book coming out. Uh, plus, we have great news in a lawsuit for the rule of law and against really the craze left in California. I'll talk about that uh, major development there. So a lot going on. Uh, first up is the uh, really the assault on the rule of law out of the Supreme Court in some ways. Uh, this has been uh, a troubling period of time. We've had uh, decisions where the court has substituted its political will for the will of the American people, contrary to our constitutional system. Uh, there have been some great decisions as well that have upheld the rule of law on the First Amendment and religious freedom. Uh, but uh, there were two cases in particular this week tied to President Trump, uh, which uh, highlight the really unprecedented assault on President Trump. And as I've often warned you in the past, it's not just about President Trump, it's about the Constitution, it's about you. You have to remember. The Constitution, our structure of government, the separation of powers between the branches, federalism, all that is the genius, is the genius of the founders dispersing the powers of government over various departments and sovereigns, not to uh, help the government suppress you, but to protect your rights. When all the powers of government reside in a court, or in a legislature, or in an executive, or in a sovereign, in the case of the state versus the federal government, that's when your rights are at risk. Because no one else can do anything about it if uh, the particular power-hungry part of the government is able to uh, do what it wants to do without being checked. So think about that in the course of the discussions with the attack on President Trump by, uh, in this case now, uh, a New York City district attorney who has sought to subpoena, I think a dozen or 10 years, more or less, of the president's private tax records as a, po as a part of some, po some, some uh, fishing expedition of a criminal investigation. Well, the president opposed that and went up to the Supreme Court and a decision came down. And I'll talk about that decision. It did not come out in favor of the president, although it can be argued uh, whether uh, the president uh, actually won or not because of the timing. And then secondly, you had Congress doing almost the exact same thing through a subpoena as well, and uh, that case came down. Well, first up, though, I want to talk about is the case uh, by the district attorney in New York. He sought the subpoena of uh, a grand jury subpoena of the president's personal records. And the argument is that the president has to be president, and he can't uh, he can't be bothered uh, and harassed with potentially thousands of investigations by basic part political hacks uh, in uh, local district attorneys. That's the concern. Now, the majority of the court found seven to two. Technically speaking, if you count Justice Thomas, eight to one that the president, while he's president, uh, can be at least asked questions in the sense that they can issue a subpoena. Uh, the court deferred on the president's request that it defer the enforcement of the subpoena until he leaves office, which is really quite extraordinary. Because in my view, and there's, these were five, um, excuse me, seven justices, uh, the uh, including Judge Kav Justice Kavanaugh and, and Justice Gorsuch and Chief Justice Roberts, of course, 
Uh, they said our, our legal tradition is the president subject to the court process. And uh, of course they kicked the can down the road as to whether or not uh, that court process can be delayed or deferred because of the presidency. And uh, Justice Alito, it seems to me, uh, is the only one who got it right. Because Justice Alito in a one person dissent uh, he highlighted the fact that you've got uh, uh, this really uh, potentially damaging way for partisans and, you know, maybe even well-meaning prosecutors to upend the ability of the president to do his job with criminal investigations of uh, President Trump. And, you know, and by the way, I want to go back a little bit. I want to take a step back. Because this, quote, criminal investigation is the result of uh, uh, garbage legal theory, uh, theories thrown up into the air by first Mueller and then the Southern District of New York, which is uh, Mueller's cutout these days, suggesting the president committed a crime in signing a, um, an agreement with this Stormy Daniels woman that required her to remain silent about her allegations which she denied and then said that they were true so it's hard to tell what she was saying but either way there was an agreement that she uh be quiet and agreements like that are happen all the time and uh, the president in compensation uh, paid her some money uh to assure that uh, she would not break the agreement and they're somehow making it seem like that payment of money is illegal. It's not illegal. It's not illegal. It's absurd to suggest it is. It happens all the time. So a confidentiality agreement uh, is now the subject of a criminal investigation by an out-of-control partisan district attorney, who, by the way, district attorneys run for office, so they're politicians. I don't know if they all run for office, but I know the one in New York runs for office. So this is necessarily a political investigation. And as I said, Justice Alito got it right. And I wanna read a little bit from Justice Alito's decision. And by the way, to say that the president or no man is above the law, it doesn't mean that he's not beneath the law. So this is a question of what the constitution requires. And that is the law. So Justice Alito, in the proceedings below, neither respondent nor the district court, meaning the respondent was Mr. Vance, the district attorney, nor the Second Circuit, was willing to concede the fundamental point that a sitting president may not be prosecuted by a local district attorney. Respondent has said that he's investigating the president, and until oral argument in this court, he never foreswore an intention to charge the president while he was still in office. The district court conceded only that perhaps a sitting president could not be prosecuted for an offense punishable by, quote, lengthy imprisonment, unquote, but that an offense requiring only a short trial would be another matter. And the Second Circuit was silent on the question. And then he goes into the what ifs. The scenario apparently contemplated by the district court is striking. If a sitting president were charged in a New York County, would he be arrested and fingerprinted? He would presumably be, requ be required for arraignment in criminal court where the judge would set the conditions for his release. Could he be sent to Rikers Island or be required to post bail? Could the judge impose restrictions on his travel? If the president were scheduled to travel abroad, perhaps to attend a G7 meeting, would he have to get judicial approval? If the president were charged with a complicated offense requiring a long trial, would he have to put up his presidential responsibilities aside for weeks on end while sitting in the Manhattan courtroom? While the trial was in progress, would aides be able to approach him and whisper in his ear about pressing matters? Would he be able to obtain a recess whenever he needed to speak with an aide at greater length or attend an urgent matter, such as speaking with a foreign leader? 
could he effectively carry out all his essential presidential responsibilities after the trial day ended, and at the same time adequately confer with his trial attorneys regarding his defense? Or should he be expected to give up the right to attend his own trial and be trialed in absentia? And if he were convicted, would he be in prison? Could he be in prison? Would AIDS be installed in a nearby cell? The entire imagined scene is farcical. The right of all the people to a functioning government would be sacrificed. Does anyone really think in a country where common crimes are usually brought before state grand juries by state prosecutors that it is feasible to subject the president and thus the country to every district attorney with a reckless mania, mania for self-promotion? Justice Alito writes, is actually quoting someone else there. Pretty dramatic stuff. So all the noise you hear about no man is above the law runs into the constitutional system of government we have, right? That the president has a job to do. He's commander in chief. The power of the executive branch resides in him practically speaking. And now, according to this decision, he may be subject to the whims of every district attorney in the United States. Now, of course, the court deferred. Justice Thomas complained. He said, look, in theory, they might be able to issue a subpoena. But he asked us to defer it. I don't understand why we're not doing it. God bless Justice Thomas for common sense as well. So now we'll have to go back and fight it. And that's where the politicians in the political class says, well, you know, he may actually have won this in the sense he gets to delay it. Well, practically speaking, that may be true. Constitutionally speaking, it's a loss for him and it will be a continued distraction to have to fight this in court. I mean, we know the law here because we had tried to get uh, discovery from Judge, and Judge Sullivan and authorized this discovery in a case against the Bush administration, the Cheney Energy Task Force. It could have involved discovery regarding the Vice President of the United States. And from what I recall, the Supreme Court said, and this case is cited often, that um, it, it was even too much to ask the Vice President to object to our discovery. That's how much deference the courts give the uh, leaders of the executive branch. And as the president rightly says, all these other presidents get deference, but I don't get it. And as I said earlier, this, this kind of, this is, this is why we have federalism. This is why we have a constitution. These structures protect us. So now your decision on who to put into the presidency can be overcome, overrun, and thwarted by a district attorney in a land far, far away from you. And I say that facetiously, but a state far, far away from you. Accountable to virtually no one, practically speaking. And now the president is gonna to have to further litigate this. And similarly, you had the Congress of the United States uh, try to subpoena his private tax records to quote, so they can figure out how to legislate better. And Justice Thomas cut to the heart of it. He said in his dissent, this is just garbage. There's no basis for the Congress of the United States to subpoena anyone's private records anyone's. Now, if they're doing an impeachment, that's a different thing, he said, but only perhaps. But in that case, like this one, the majority of the Supreme Court, uh, in this case, it was again, seven to two, kicked the can down the road and said to the lower court, well, you didn't consider the separations of powers issues and you need to, you know, be more careful. And they gave them you know, four tests they needed to pursue, some of which were 
at odds with each other. So you can just imagine how that's going to work. So Congress lost, the coup cabal lost, in the sense the uh, they were asserting this um, super right to subpoena anything they wanted. The president lost in the sense that he didn't get his uh, suggesting that he's immune from such thing, from such investigation upheld. So we're going to be back to the courts and the president's going to continue to face, continue to face harassment. And by the way, the president's tax returns have already been reviewed by all sorts of authorities. Mueller reviewed his tax returns. There's no doubt about it. So this is all political. This is all political. And so the president, who we want to be focused on doing his job, and now, of course, he's running for election, but that's, that's the reality of our constitutional system as well. But now, so now we're going to have um, a district attorney in New York interfering in the presidency with the endorsement of the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, does it mean he gets to see what he wants, that the president will have to testify or will have to turn over records? No, that's not what the court said. But it was it was a lifeline to this out of control prosecutor, and he gets to continue to harass the president. And as I said, these are this is an attack on our structure of our government, and the structure of our government is set up by our founders, as was set up by our founders to protect your liberties. Well, for instance, this congressional theory that they can subpoena anything they want. You think that means it just applies to the president of the United States? Of course not, it applies to you. And we already know they've abused this theory because uh, Adam Schiff uh, subpoenaed without court authorization and obtained the phone records of Rudy Giuliani and then published them. Now, if a cop had done that, he'd be prosecuted. So it's the legal position. And how do we know it's the legal position? Because we're suing Schiff for records about it. And Schiff and House lawyers working for Pelosi have told us they have the right to do this. They can subpoena anything they want, practically speaking, with no court supervision and no accountability. Because we, we haven't even seen the subpoenas yet. We haven't even seen the subpoenas yet. So as you hear the left chuckling and, ca and cackling about the president's tax returns, they've got the, the House of Representatives issuing secret subpoenas for the phone records of innocent Americans and then publishing the results, and they don't care one word about it. It further shows you that the leftists who are running our media, running much of our culture, running much of our legal establishment, certainly running at least one half of Congress, they don't give one whit about your rights, about the Constitution, about our government. It's all a power game to them. Oh, sure, they'll talk about elections, they'll talk about the Constitution and rights and all that, but as soon as it gets in the way of what they wanna do, it's all out the door. It's all out the door. I mean, look at the, the effect, effective endorsement of violent riots, a violent insurrection by the left, by leaders in Congress. You had them tear down a statue in Baltimore of Christopher Columbus, and they, I think they threw it into the harbor or something. And Pelosi said, well, people are going to do what they're going to do. I don't care. They see this violence as a political tool. And as I said to you before, the violence itself, you know, however outrageous, it, that by, by itself, it won't overthrow a government. What overthrows a government are politicians who egg it on, endorse it, 
or fail to address it. And we've got an unholy mix of that going on right now. I mean, for instance, in Seattle, uh, I heard President Trump was on TV this week. I mean, he pointed out the only reason they cleaned up Seattle and shut that down is because he threatened to send in troops or send in the feds, whatever. He needs to do the same in Portland. They were trying to burn down the federal courthouse, the, the leftist insurrectionists. I don't know, you know, they, I call it a communist revolution, a Marxist revolution, or some unholy mix of it all, Maoist, however you want to call it. It's a revolution, and it needs to be confronted and stopped. There were two other good Supreme Court decisions. Uh, one was good, one was much better. Uh, the, the, the Little Sisters of the Poor, uh, they uh, were being forced initially by the Obamacare gang to subsidize uh, contraception and abortion in violation of their religious and moral beliefs. Uh, even though Obamacare never, uh, as passed, never said that had to be done. It was all by regulation. And so uh, initially uh, the Obama gang lost on that, but then they went back and uh, tried again. And the little sisters fought back. And finally the Trump administration came in and said, you know what, we're, we're gonna have a broad religious and moral um, objection of exemption to uh, requiring people to provide contraceptive and abortion coverage. And the court found that to be perfectly fine, even though the lower courts and the left uh, want to require you to support abortion through your health care plans as an employer or someone else. You know, it's not... <laughs> You know, we believe, uh, the left likes you to believe they're all about choice. They're not about choice. It's about compulsion. They want to compel you to agree with them. They want to compel you to support their agenda. So it's not enough to, quote, allow abortion. No, you have to pay for abortion. Now, I don't know if you're pro-life or pro-choice. I'm pro-life. But you pro-choices out there, is that your position that you, other people should pay for abortion? Knowing the religious and moral objections to it in the least? And should that be the position of the government? Well, it was, and yes, it will be. That was one of the problems with the decision in that uh, they deferred to the agency in changing the regulations and presumed the agency had the right one way or another to do it. So next administration comes around, if it's run by someone who uh, is um, uh, part of the pro-abortion crowd, like Obama was, the rules are gonna go back again and it'll be you know, more and more fighting. You know, a lot of these cases are simpler than the court makes them, but politically they're more difficult. So sometimes the court doesn't wanna do what it ought to, want to, what it ought to do. You know, and the, uh, there were other opinions, again, by, I think it was Chief Justice Thomas, excuse me, it should be Chief Justice Thomas, by Justice Thomas saying, oh, this is, this is baloney. There's no, federal law doesn't allow this sort of compulsion to take place. It's called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So we win these cases for now, but the battles continue. So I don't think there's anything else from the Supreme Court this year, or at least this term. So it'll, uh, I won't be yelling about the court, at least in terms of specific cases until uh, a few months from now as uh, everyone goes on their summer break. Uh, next up is uh, 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 some big news about a Judicial Watch case uh, 
Actually, we got in the news last month, and I had, and frankly, I just I've been meaning to talk about it, and I haven't gotten around to talking about it. We hadn't gotten around even setting a release about it, but it's an important case. In California, they have this absurd new law that it requires corporations of certain sizes to have gender quotas on the board of directors. You heard that right, gender quotas. And I don't have. Um, I don't have the exact quota requirements, but the bigger the board is, after a certain time, the more women have to be on the board. It's completely crazy. And um, it's so bad that even Governor Brown, when signing it, excuse me, the California Assembly floor analysis identified a significant risk of legal challenges It characterized the legislation as creating a quota-like system and noted this bill, if enacted into law, would likely be challenged on equal protection grounds. Equal protection grounds, you know what that means? Treating people differently based on an improper legal distinction, like between men and women. The use of a quota-like system as proposed by this bill to remedy past discrimination and differences in opportunities in opportunity may be difficult to defend. In signing the bill, then Governor Brown, who as you know is a liberal, maybe you don't know, but he's a liberal, he's been around for so long, wrote that this that quote, serious legal concerns have been raised to the legislation. I don't minimize the potential flaws that indeed may prove fatal to its ultimate implementation. He signed the bill anyway, noting, nevertheless, recent events in Washington, D.C. and beyond, Trump, make it crystal clear, clear that many are not getting the message. So he signed an unconstitutional bill, both, I think, at the federal level, or certainly at the state level, because of Trump. That's the, that, remember what I said? The left doesn't care about the rule of law if politics was more, and, and if the politics suggests otherwise. Here you have the governor of California admitting that politics guided his agreeing to a law that he knew to be, or knew likely to be unconstitutional. Already there are 282 corporations that reported compliance with the law's requirements. So what Judicial Watch did was we filed a lawsuit on behalf of taxpayers against this law. In California, there's something called taxpayer standing, which allows taxpayers to challenge illegal expenditures, or expenditures of funds that for illegal purposes, like forcing this law. And of course, the government came back and said, Look, you can't do this, they don't have standing. Well, the court granted us standing and allowed the case to proceed. So now the case will proceed. We're going to get some of the discovery. We're going to take evidence. And I suspect that discovery will include taking the depositions of senior California officials. So this is a big deal. Last I checked, they're so afraid of this case that they, quote, promise not to enforce the law, even though they don't want to really promise to not enforce the law in terms of a legal sense. The law is an anathema to the Constitution and the rule of law. And sure enough, the crazed left in California are now uh, thinking of passing a bill that would expand this quota system to include race. So not only would corporations be required to have certain gender numbers on the board, they would be also be required to have a certain number of minorities on the board. Now you, now I know, you know, we're, you're probably naive like you, like me, thinking, I thought we were supposed to be against treating people based on race differently. I thought we were supposed to be against treating people based on sex differently in, in decision and, and hiring. Well, they don't believe that. I mean, you believe that. I believe that. The left never, they never believed it. 
They've never believed it. And they're trying to enshrine it in law, discriminatory practices. So I'm glad Judicial Watch is doing this work. Also, we, um, I mean, we have other lawsuits over their sanctuary policies in California. We sued successfully uh, um, against California's effort to cause uh, President Trump or, have, or candidates to have to present their tax returns in order to get on the presidential ballot, completely unconstitutional. We stopped that in its tracks thanks to our lawsuits. I mean, we really are Judicial Watch of California as much as just Judicial Watch generally because we do so much work in California. A, it's a big state, and B, it's a place where the lawless approach to governance is epidemic. Cleaning elections, we got Los Angeles County settled a big case with us. They're now cleaning up to 1.6 million names. We sued over Newsom's scheme to, without authorization by the legislature, mail millions of ballots, including to people who have been dead or moved away. Well, that stopped. A, the, the bill was, they had to pass the law to get him to mail the ballots. And then B, he promised not to mail them to people who are dead and moved away. Now, it's still going to be a disaster. But at least dead people aren't going to get ballots, or at least fewer dead people will get ballots, thanks to Judicial Watch. So California, California crush. So General Flynn is still under the gun. Judge Sullivan, rather than, and remember, Judge Sullivan was ordered by the appellate court to dismiss the criminal charges against General Flynn, which the, judge, the government wanted to do. Obviously, General Flynn didn't oppose that. He didn't do it. And in fact, he appealed it. I don't even think he can appeal it. I guess that's a technical legal question. He appealed it. So the adventurism, as I call it charitably, against General Flynn, the harassment and abuse of General Flynn continues. And now we just had received documents, the people have, more documents the Justice Department was forced to turn over by General Flynn's lawyer, Sidney Powell and her, her legal team, that further confirm that General Flynn was the target of a criminal conspiracy, and we were all victimized by a massive obstruction of justice by the Obama gang. The new documents include a January 25th FBI memo, part of which was released. The FBI advised they believe that Flynn, and this is by the way, they told everyone, and this was a, this was a discussion with everybody senior officials at DOJ, FBI believe that they, be, FBI advised that they believe that Flynn believed what he was saying was true. FBI recognized the discrepancy between the statements and the actual calls, but determined that Flynn was not acting as an agent of Russia. Remember, the whole scam was that General Flynn had lied about the substance of calls he had with the Russian ambassador. It turned out he didn't lie. Of course, we all knew that from the get-go. And they knew it from the get-go, yet they prosecuted him anyway. And these are documents the Justice Department had been sitting on. Sidney Powell wrote a brief describing the documents. Despite clear evidence of no crime, Sally Yates and Mary McCord, two senior DOJ officials, one was an Obama holdover, uh, the other is um, Mary McCord, I think she was career, made two trips to the White House to get General Flynn fired. And Andrew McCabe met with Vice President Pence to convince him that General Flynn had not been honest with him. 
Further, after that meeting, FBI agent Strzok and Lisa Page further altered the FBI 302 report of the interview until it met with McCabe's approval and would facilitate a prosecution by the special counsel. So they all knew he didn't lie, and yet they went and told Flynn that he did lie. And General Flynn, being a good soldier, you know, he recognized that uh, his senior leadership, uh, Pence, thought he had lied to him, and Flynn resigned. Job, mission completed. They took Flynn off the board. And then in March of 30th, you had a senior official of DOJ, Dan Puente, who, who, by the way, also signed off on one of those fraudulent FISA warrants. Do not view Flynn as a source of collusion. They all knew he was not anything other than a patriot. Yet they coerced him and lied to him and withhold these documents from him. And Judge Sullivan, rather than focus on the fact his orders were violated, because all these documents are supposed to be turned over, not only under his orders specifically, but under the so-called Brady rule, which means that exculpatory information generally is supposed to be turned over. And this was hidden, this was covered up. Where's the Justice Department? This is criminal activity, what's going on here in terms of the prosecution of General Flynn. There's a news report out this week that um, um, Durham, excuse me for getting, for forgetting his name, Durham may have to punt to any decisions until after the election. That means nothing's going to be done. I've been telling you nothing's going to be done, and we're just getting further and further confirmation nothing's going to be done. Does it mean there'll be no prosecutions? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean there won't be, quote, a report? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that senior officials who are responsible for the corruption you're hearing here, you're seeing evidence of here, people like Biden, Obama, who were intimately involved in the, in the targeting improperly of Flynn, they won't be questioned, they won't be targeted, they won't be prosecuted. Certainly not by Durham. Now I know that's upsetting for you to hear, but unless we know what the problem is, we can't address it. And so how do we address the problem? Transparency, accountability. The president should appoint a special counsel separately. I know it may be too late, but we gotta at least have the appearance that justice is being pursued here. I don't even see that they're doing anything. Now I'm hearing noise. Oh, well, there, there, there were problems with the COVID getting the grand juries. That's just a load of bunk. It's a load of bunk. Durham was appointed in April of last year. And they're now finally admitting to documents that they should have turned over months ago. But 17, what is it now? 15, April, 19, July. 15 months later. Now, supposedly the news is President Trump is going to pardon or commute the sentence of Roger Stone. As well, he should. He should pardon General Flynn too. I know people say, well, that means he's guilty. No, that doesn't mean he's guilty. It just means he won't have to go through the hell he's been going through with Judge Sullivan anymore. I'd pardon Manafort. I'd even pardon his lawyer, Cohen. And I know Cohen is no angel. None of these people would have been prosecuted for proper, uh, yeah, there's no, let me put it this way. Do you believe that the Justice Department or Mueller properly calculated the, the public interest in prosecuting these cases versus deciding whether to allocate resources elsewhere? Of course not. It was all about getting Trump. It was all political. So when all these people get prosecuted, and probably would never have been prosecuted, but for Trump, I think Trump should pardon them all. Stone, Flynn, Manafort. Yeah, Cohen. 
Comey referred for prosecution, not prosecuted. McCabe referred to for prosecution, not prosecuted. Obama not even questioned. Hillary protected. And Stone's going to go to jail? Fire the president, I'd say not on my watch. I'm not, I'm not going to let this abuse of power, this abuse of the justice system go by. And General Barr, General Barr he's thought, he thought the prosecution was righteous. That's a problem if he thinks that's, that's the case. How is it righteous when he had to intervene personally to stop the prosecutors from putting him in jail twice as long as the law required? And the other solution is transparency. Get the information out there so the Justice Department is publicly forced into doing the right thing because they're not going to do the right thing if no one knows the truth about what they're supposed to be investigating. The more information we have, the harder it, the harder it is for the Justice Department to avoid justice. And that's why we've been adamant in trying to get these documents. Yet this FBI and this Justice Department continues to slow walk these documents. We were just told that there are 8,000 more pages of records about Page and Strzok. We had sued for the records, remember? We're getting all the emails. We have all sorts of revelations from them. And they're releasing them to us at a rate of 500 pages a month. Oh, wait, not 500 pages a month. They're reviewing 500 pages a month. So we don't get all of them. And they say that review won't be complete because they can only do it 500 pages a month, which, of course, is a big lie. So think about that. It's now July of 2020. 8,000 pages a month means we won't get all the documents that we're supposed to get, forget about the ones we're gonna argue about, until 16 months from now. So let's see, that's July of next year, plus four months, so that's August, September, October, November. November of 2021. And practically speaking, that means another way these things work, it will be 2022 before we know everything that they've withheld from us. And forget about the issues about deleted text messages and things like that. So forgive me for getting a little upset now and again with this administration, with Attorney General Barr, with Director Ray. Because they're allowing this cover-up to take place. I told you last week, we were suing for the unmasking records, the spying on President Trump, the State Department. The State Department's covering up for Obama. Still. Before I go, I want to talk about the coronavirus. Now we're, going, now we're back to more lockdowns. Now we're back to we can't open the schools. Now we're back or we've increased it to we're having masks that we have to wear all over the place. One Texas official suggested that we should have to wear masks in our home. By their lights, I should be giving you this presentation wearing a mask. This is where I think, and, and we have a new study coming out or that has come out suggesting that hydrochloroquine is effective in cutting deaths. We had new studies that uh, remdesivir is effective in cutting deaths from coronavirus. So we have this unusual situation. Well, it's really not unusual given realities of science, where the deaths, where the cases are going up, but the deaths are going down. You know what that tells me? It tells me the coronavirus is over as a crisis. I think it's long been over. If you've been following in my tweet feed and my comments on this update, I think it's been long over. There should never have been lockdowns. And I don't object if people want to wear a mask. I don't think they work. I don't, I'm not aware of science saying they work. But if you want to wear a mask, go ahead, wear a mask. It's a, it's a free country. 
but my view, everyone's going to get it more or less. And so what we need to do is think of ways either to prevent people from getting it through drugs, prophylactics potentially, preventatives like hydrochloroquine might be, India is using it as a preventative, but you've got this crazed anti-Trump media medical establishment that tries to downplay any successful preventative measures or treatments, medical treatments for coronavirus. They're all hyped on quote cases. And in the meantime, our country is being destroyed. I know the economy is doing better, but that's because we were coming from a low end, terribly low point going way up. Many of us still can't go to the office for work. I'm in the District of Columbia here. Our office is still closed effectively in terms of uh, people being able to go into the office in a regular way. And that's true pretty much all over the city. It's true most, in most big cities. And now there's this fight over the schooling where you, if you wanna open your schools according to the CDC person, but they will traumatize the children in doing so. I mean, they talk about the science of mass. I'm, you know, I, I was out earlier today, or it was yesterday. I was walking down the street. Everyone had a mask on. Big, big street, huge sidewalks. Everyone had a mask on. And I thought, why don't we have goggles on? Because isn't that another membrane that is susceptible to viral infection, as your mucous membrane or your mouth? Why not goggles? Now we have news that it may be in the air much easier or it may be more communicable much more easily through the air. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to say there's not much we can do within reason to prevent it from being spread without keeping everyone in their home and never allowing them to leave. We've got to reopen our society again. People have got to get back to work. Children have got to be able to do what children do. We got to reopen our society again. And Justice Department has been AWOL. Our freedoms have been suppressed by the states. I talk about the federal system. The states don't have the right to suppress your rights the way they've been doing during the lockdowns. And the courts are afraid to stay, say no to them, more or less. Now and again, you get a good decision. Bill Barr threatened to do all sorts of things by the, from the Justice Department in terms of protecting the rights of businesses and commerce and all of that. That hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. I and mean, we have a FOIA on Dr. Fauci. We can't even get documents on a simple FOIA request. Just emails, just a few emails for a brief period of time over WHO and China and coronavirus. How many emails could there have been? Excuse me, I'm a little thirsty. Everything right now about the coronavirus is political. It's all about getting Trump. It's about the election. If you think it's science, I guess you could think that, but science has little, if anything, to do with it. And, um, and they're happy to destroy the economy. They're happy to make your children miserable. They're happy to damage your children if it means getting Trump. Um, something else I need to talk about. Oh our new book. We have a new book. I've been working on it. It's a great book. It's called, I want to be sure I get the title right because I sometimes, I sometimes give it a different title depending on the time of day. It's called A Republic Under Assault, The Left's Ongoing Attack on American Freedom. But isn't that true? And this title was picked before the insurrection. It was it was, um, it flowed from a C-SPAN, excuse me, excuse me, a C-SPAC speech, speech I gave, where I talked about how a republic is under assault, 
with the coup attack on President Trump, the attack on our borders, the attack on our election systems. And in the book, I expose it all. I summarize our major revelations, provide some new information, some new analysis. And it's a book they won't want you to read. And you know who the they is. The, 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 the uh, media that's been hiding this information from you, the corrupt politicians that they're protecting, frankly, of both political parties. So the book is available for pre-order. You go to judicialwatchbook.com. Uh, it's a great book. Um, and while you're, you, I want you to order that book. And I've got two other books you should order. We have Clean House and The Corruption Chronicles, which uh, both of which document the Obama era. And frankly, a lot of the Bush and Clinton era as well. And those two, between those books, you will know everything you need to know about the swamp. And of course, this is the, this will be a triple hitter with this book that comes out in October, but you can pre-order it now. And so the more pre-orders we get, the better the word is we get out going out there because this book is a great way to support Judicial Watch. And by getting it on the bestseller list, uh, we will uh, help educate millions of more Americans who otherwise don't know about the work we're doing. So I encourage you to not only buy the book, pre-order it, buy the other books, but also get the word out about the material in the books, obviously, the books, so that other people know about what we're doing. We're saving the country. We're saving the country, and it will be easier to do if we have more people on our side and educated about this work. So with that, I thank you. Have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next time here on Judicial Watch's Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's Weekly Update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.